Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. The Super Bowl of Terrorism. Terrorists versus Islamophobes. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. Today, Hank, given that uh, the Super Bowl is coming up, and we're all getting Super Bowl fever, um, I thought I would use that theme to talk about uh, what is happening, actually what happened this week, and it's actually uh, uh, happening many weeks out of the year, that the um, authorities are arresting people uh, on both sides of these Super Bowl teams, on both sides of the terrorist war. Uh, so I have for you today two teams coming up. Um, one who are terrorists. And um, now these, the interesting thing is these are um, young men about the same age as the young men who play in the Super Bowl or at least play football. And um, they were arrested in different parts of the United States. So it's like Michigan versus New York in this particular uh, um, set of terrorists versus Islamophobes. We're going to be um, hearing about the terrorists in Michigan and the Islamophobes in New York. They're not fighting each other directly, as one does in the Super Bowl. There's no immediate contact, direct contact, but they're fighting for their opposing causes, and they're being cheered on by crowds of raving fans, although you don't see them as clearly as we see the fans in the actual Super Bowl. So let me first give you a little tease about the, the real Super Bowl that's coming up. Uh, the security is phenomenal. It is already underway. They've actually actually been um, studying Super Bowls in other cities before this for the past two years. So they are trying to make sure not only that nothing happens, that there's no terror attack uh, at the Super Bowl itself in Atlanta, but not in um, things, places connected to the Super Bowl but outside the Super Bowl. So this year it's the New England Patriots versus the LA Rams. Uh, and as you know, there has been a lot of controversy because of the calls of the reps. And uh, that has brought an, an, an increasing amount of intrigue and mystery and anger in regard to whether these teams should actually be at the Super Bowl, deserve to be at the Super Bowl, who's gonna win and so on. Um, the, uh, and so what they're going to be doing is um, safeguarding areas that are, that are outside of the downtown, what's called the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Love it when all these companies get into the act, right? Um, and um, they are also going to be um, looking at other places. Now, they have had an experiences, Atlanta has had experiences um, before where there have been terror attacks outside of a stadium. Um, 
For example, uh, one of the best known is in 1996 at the Olympic Games, there was a man who set off a pipe bomb at Centennial Olympic Park. And this did not have, this was outside of the Olympic Village. You know, of course, there was a lot of high security of the athletes at Olympic Village. So this man didn't go there where he wouldn't have been able to get in. Instead, he went to the park. And shrapnel from that bomb, this was July 27th, 1996, and his bomb killed a woman who was hit in the skull with a, a nail, and he wounded more than 100 other people. And um, the reason why the park wasn't, um, wasn't better secured, well, first of all, this was 1996. It was before 9-11. And second of all, there was, um, they wanted to make the park family friendly. So they decided to have less of a presence of security there. Obviously, that was a big mistake, and they don't want to make that kind of mistake again. So um, this year, the park is going to have a lot of concerts and other game-related celebrations. So they, they are going to have a lot more um, security there. And, uh, for example, they're going to be having people on bikes, and they're going to have uh, paramedics on bikes, and so on. But they um, aren't, you know, they, they're, they are well aware that terrorists keep trying to find ways to outsmart them. So, you know, if you remember, um, this is also like the reason to uh, be very careful about the outside venues as well is because one of the, like, one of the best examples is from November 2015 in Paris. Uh, there was a soccer game between France and Germany, and um, there was um, there were suicide bombers outside the stadium, uh, and they killed a, by a bystander. And this was at the same this was during the same um, rampage of terrorist attacks in Paris that went, went that went on in November of 2015. And then also, of course, we have, this isn't related to a sports event, but, you know, we had the, uh, the terror attack at the Ariana Grande concert in Manchester. So it's known now that you can't just, um, you can't just expect things to happen at the places, you know, <laughs> at the places where you're thinking that they're going to happen. You need to have more security, unfortunately, or fortunately that there's more security, but unfortunately that we have to do this uh, all over the place. Now, getting back to my um, terrorism Super Bowl, the terrorists versus the uh, Islamophobes, let me talk to you first about the terrorists. This is happening, um, well, the arrests happened in Michigan. These were three Lansing men who were just arrested for supporting ISIS. After two years of investigation, mainly using Facebook, and then having undercover agents um, connect with these three men and meet with them and so on until they actually were at the airport to leave um, to join ISIS. They were arrested at uh, uh, at the airport in Grand Rapids, Michigan, by the members of the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force. And they now face up to 20 years in prison. 
So it's three men. They, their names are Muhammad, Muz, then if this isn't confusing enough, Muz, Muz, well, they each have middle names. Their middle names is Abdikadir. Uh, and then a third, those two are brothers. Mohammed and Muz are the Muz brothers. Uh, Mohammed is 23, Muz is 20. And then they have a brother-in-law uh, named Mohammed Salat Haji, and he's 26. Now, they have other names as well. Um, I'm not going to get have tell you about it because it becomes even more confusing. They, they always give each other other names. Um, they were all born in Kenya. The Moose brothers became U.S. citizens when their parents were naturalized. Uh, Haji is also now a U.S. citizen, and they've all three pledged their loyalty to ISIS. So this all started once upon a time when um, Mohammed, he was the uh, 23-year-old, when Mohammed was writing things on Facebook that caught the attention of the FBI. And this was in April, 2016. And it, they, he had public pages, he was writing on the public pages. He posted photos, videos, statements, and commentary that were pro-ISIS. He wasn't hiding any of this. He was boldly stating um, what now the authorities are calling uh, violent extremist propaganda. And so um, the FBI, um, analysis of these photos and so on uh, led him, led them, led the FBI to Mohammed, who was formerly a Nebraska resident, and that was in the fall of 2016 when he, when the FBI contacted Mohammed. Then in June 2017, the FBI agent posed as an ISIS recruiter. And he contacted Mohammed because obviously Mohammed was showing that he wanted to or was pledging his loyalty to ISIS. So, you know, this would be um, if it was an ISIS person rather than a, uh, an FBI agent, they would obviously jump at this person to contact this person. And so the FBI contacted him. And in this initial exchange, Mohammed told the agent that he wanted to join ISIS in Syria and that he was saving money to pay for a trip. He also said he planned to die with a gun in his hand fighting for ISIS. And then not long after that, Facebook suspended the account, but the FBI agent was able to contact him again. But I just wanna remind you of something. Um, I was talking in my last podcast about uh, the, the wish of terrorists to, to die, um, you know, to be a martyr and so on, and the terrorists that I was talking about last time. So now we're up to August 2017, and Muhammad, you know, not to be deterred, he surfaced again on Facebook. He made similar posts of pro-ISIS uh, propaganda. The undercover agent contacted him again. He confirmed that it was the same guy, and um, that he still wanted to join ISIS. So then in September 2017, um, through a search warrant, through the original Facebook account, uh, investigators identified Haji as well, because he and Mohammed were talking about joining ISIS. Started with one, Mohammed, who was posting things on 
Facebook that made it quite clear he wanted to, was loyal to ISIS, he wanted to go to ISIS, uh, travel to ISIS, to serve with ISIS, and so on. So, um, so they, basically, the FBI was serving through Facebook, they were serving um, uh, search warrants, and then that's how they found the second of this team of three, Haji. A desire to fight for ISIS. And then at one of the times, Haji asked uh, Muhammad to send him more ISIS videos. And he said about ISIS burning people, I love it, man. Then in February 2018, they got another search warrant and they identified Muzmuz, the second Muz brother, because he and Mohammed were talking about ISIS and so on. So, you know, through the original Mohammed, they were connecting to, the, to his other teammates. Then, um, uh, then from May 2018 to October 2018, they were, oh, they, they were able to find that Muz and Haji were connected. And they talked about um, killing non-believers and so on. Then the FBI brought in more undercover agents because they were realizing this was possibly a bigger threat. Now, this is interesting. Um, the, these two undercover agents, one posed as a Somali man and spoke a lot of times with Moose, who told him that he was planning to save money to join ISIS to travel. And then the other FBI undercover man started posing as an African-American man from Chicago who had converted to Islam. And he started talking to Haji. So we, had, we have three um, FBI guys, and each one has each one of these three team members uh, in their site who they're talking with, and primarily. And um, then in November 2018, um, over the course of a month, all three men made a pledge to ISIS in Arabic on video and sent the files to the undercover agent posing as the Somali man. Um, you know, you gotta love it. These FBI agents are great in the way that they're able to convince the terrorists that, they're, that they are terrorists themselves and on their side. Uh, and I mean, you know, to get these men to send them a video, make a video where they're pledging to ISIS. Um, then in December of 2018, um, Haji and Moose coached, coached the undercover agent who was posing as the Chicago man through the oath um, as Haji recorded it. So here they, they got the man who uh, converted to Islam to say the Haji oath. And then they were started talking about flight prices online and Moose was asking for financial assistance. So in other words, they were getting closer to actually doing it, actually getting on a plane. And the FBI got $1,200 that they sent to Moose in $300 increments because the plane ticket to Somalia was $1,749. So um, I guess they didn't want to send him the whole <laughs> 1749 and once in one fell swoop because they wanted to um they wanted to keep him talking and have reasons to to have him continue to talk with them so um news believed the money was coming from isis so that really you know 
made him feel uh, included, made him feel like a t on the terrorist team. Um, then in January 2019, so this month, Moose and Haji met the undercover agent who was posing as the Chicago man. And they met him at a Walmart in Lansing, Michigan. They discussed the trip to Somalia. The two men told the FBI man that if they failed in their attempt to join ISIS, they would conduct an attack um, or martyred, martyrdom operations. And they were talking about where they would do that. And they were talking about possibly Paris. And it's so interesting because just like last time, last my last podcast, I was talking about there was the terrorist who couldn't get a passport. And so he decided to commit an attack in the US. Um, then this past Monday, these three men um, drove together to Grand Rapids. They parked, they went to the airport terminal where Muse got his boarding pass, checked a bag, went to the security checkpoint, and guess what happened? <laughs> the law enforcement officers, including FBI agents, uh, arrested Muse while he was going through security. And they then arrested Mohammed and Haji shortly later in the terminal. So now what's going to happen? Um, they're all three of them, team terrorists, face charges for conspiring to provide, quote, material support or resources to a designated foreign terrorist organization, unquote, specifically ISIS. And this is a crime under the Patriot Act. So, um, so far, one of them, Mohammed, has asked for a jury trial. We don't know what the other ones are going to do. They have court-appointed attorneys, and um, they are, they um, are in big trouble. And um, we stop them. We probably, you know, it's kind of ironic because, yes, of course, they're arrested. They face 20 years, possibly in jail. Um, but, you know, the, the FBI agents possibly spared their lives because, as I was telling you last time, um, now there is getting to be more and more Americans who get killed or uh, killed or arrested on the front lines um, in the Middle East. And so it is a very dangerous place for them to be. And, and people go there, you know, even wannabe terrorists, terrorists, whatever you want to call them, um, they have this romantic view of what it's going to be like when they go to the Middle East and tell ISIS that they want to join them. Uh, they don't realize just how hard and, and dangerous, I mean, yes, they want to be martyrs. So in that sense, I guess they're not really you know, on one level, they're not concerned about the danger, but at the same time, it's sort of a, a fantasy. What they think they're going to find is, is somewhat of a fantasy, and it's a lot harder and more uncomfortable than they imagined um, when they were here. So now, now I'm going to tell you about uh, Team Islamophobe. Um, at the same time as team terrorists were arrested in Michigan, we have Team Islamophobe arrested in New York, in upstate New York. There were four um, young men arrested. Well, actually, it's three young men and one 16-year-old. Uh, and um, they were found with 23 guns and three homemade bombs. And it's really interesting as to how um, they 
they uh, were, were found, this was such a bizarre way that, um, I mean, it's one thing to put the fact that you want to join ISIS and you love ISIS, you're loyal to ISIS on Facebook, you're kind of asking for it, asking to be found, <laughs> if, if not by an ISIS recruiter, then by the FBI. But this situation, these Islamophobes were not, well, they actually, for that matter, they did put um, anti Muslim uh, things on the internet, on social media, but, um, but they were still, they wouldn't have been, um, it is unlikely that they would have been arrested and their plot exposed if this, uh, if the 16 year old hadn't made a big mistake. <laughs> That's what you do. That's what happens when you get, <laughs> oh, uh, tongue-in-cheek black humor and all of that because otherwise we wouldn't be able to talk about this stuff it's too uh, I mean you have to I like to get into their heads and to understand what they're thinking and why they're doing what they do and um, and so you know so yes it, it's kind of interesting I'm sure that these three older um, these three young men who are uh, 19, 20, and 18. They're not really that much older, um, but I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, oh, we should have never gotten the other one uh, involved and this we wouldn't have been discovered. So um, how it happened was this this 16-year-old whose name they are not giving out because he's 16, he's a student at Greece Odyssey Academy in Greece, New York. That's... Uh, um, a school in Greece, New York, upstate New York. And he happened to make a remark, an offhand remark. He was not, um, I don't even think unconsciously, well, well, you decide. It was kind of a strange thing to do, but I'm sure he didn't expect that the, that, uh, the officials would ruin their plot. In any case, he showed classmates a photo of someone, and that someone turned out to be one of the other uh, people on their team and said that that person looked like a potential school shooter. He was asking his other students, doesn't this guy look like a potential school shooter? So you could actually say that unconsciously, perhaps he was feeling a bit scared um, about what the older boys were planning and his being a part of it and so on. And although he probably could never have imagined that it would have gotten to authorities, uh, a part of him, um, probably was scared and want, did want this whole thing to be stopped. I don't think he realized how much he would be implicated and how much trouble he would get into though. So this, the fellow students who he was talking to reported it to school officials who reported it to the police and they started interviewing people at the school to determine whether there was a potential threat. We're all sort of in the Thinking about the uh, upcoming Super Bowl, this is the Super Bowl of terrorism, the terrorists versus the Islamophobes. And now I'm talking to you about the Islamophobes. This team um, in upstate New York who was plotting uh, to attack Muslims. And that's why they are versus the uh, terrorists in my fictional fantasy uh, Super Bowl that I'm talking to you about today. So now I was mentioning about how the 16-year-old in this plot, in this group, um, mentioned, showed a photo of someone else in the group, you know, one of the other plotters, one of his friends, um, and asked his schoolmates whether this guy looked like a potential school shooter. 
And that, of course, drew in the cops and they started investigating and so on. And they discovered um, that this 16-year-old was connected to some older children, well, older, older young men who um, planned to attack a Muslim enclave called Islamburg, which is a rural settlement in upstate New York. It's 150 miles northwest of New York City. And it is a place where, as the name suggests, there is a collection of Muslims, not necessarily terrorists, but that has been it, a lot of, um, there have been conspiracy theories. And I, you know, I, I actually, this is, it's going to be interesting if this, if the town is investigated more at this point, because um, what the conspiracy theories, and maybe it's true, uh, but what they say is that in this town, it's not just peaceful Muslims, they are, they are actually plotting terror attacks in Islamburg. And so we have to kill them before they, you know, perpetrate an attack. Now, the three other um, teammates of Team Islamophobe are Vincent Vetromiel, uh, 19 years old, Ryan Culinary, 20 years old, and Andrew Crisell, 18 years old. They all come from suburban Rochester. They were arrested and charged with criminal possession of a weapon and conspiracy. And um, they, the young, the 16-year-old is being held uh, now as a juvenile um, on $1 million bail. The three adults are being held on $50,000 cash bail or $100,000 bonds. Um, the juvenile is going to be in court next week. And the... Um, the adults are, have a month to appear in court. Um, they have not yet filed federal terrorism charges, but, um, but you know, terrorism, again, used the other way uh, because they were going to be terrorizing and attacking this city of Muslims. Um, but they, the um, DA is getting involved and the U.S. Attorney's Office is involved, and federal charges of some sort are still possible. So now, this is how all four of these, um, this team, these teammates were linked. At least three of the four were Boy Scouts. This is, you know, a twist on the Boy Scouts, um, or what, taking it to, taking it to the extreme, um, Mr. Vetromiel and Chris Crisell were Eagle Scouts. Now, it, as you may well know, it takes a lot of work to become, that's the, that's the epitome of Boy Scouts, you know, if you become an Eagle Scout. So you have to do a lot of badges, a lot of work, and they became Eagle Scouts. And I guess, you know, that shows their, uh, their devotion to this country or their devotion to being men, um, and three of them also, the three older ones, were enrolled in Monroe Community College in Rochester, but at various points over the last two years, and it's not clear whether their time there overlapped. Um, they had been planning their attack for about a month. They were chatting on Discord, a group chat app that was created for video gamers. Um, they found 23 
legally owned shotguns and rifles in multiple locations. They found, as I said, three uh, improvised explosive devices, homemade bombs that were filled with black powder and nails, but it's not clear yet whether they're capable of being detonated. Um, they, they are not sure yet um, why they chose Islamburg, which is more than three hours from Greece by car. So from where they presumably, um, near where they lived, um, they would have to travel approximately three hours. And they're still going through all the electronic devices of these um, Islamophobes uh, to try to get more information about their motive. Now, Islamburg is a, as I started to say, a rural hamlet. It's 60 acres of what's described as rolling tree-covered hills, lakes, and fields. And the way to get to it requires driving along country roads that wind through thick woods. So in other words, um, they really were determined to pick that as a target and to go to this place that was not, you know, not easily accessible to them. This is a community that was settled in the 1980s by followers of a Pakistani cleric, Mubarak Ali Shah Gilani. And these initial settlers were mostly African-American Muslims who left New York City looking for a better place to practice their religion and raise their children. It's also the headquarters for an organization called Muslims of America, which operates similar communities throughout the US. Now, over the past several years, Islamburg has been attacked by anti-Muslim groups and some right-wing conspiracy theorists who, as I was saying, claim that the town is really a terrorist training camp. Also, for the past three years, there's a group called Bikers United Against Jihad, and they have uh, made a motorcycle protest against the community, but they have been outnumbered each time by counter-protesters, but it hasn't seemed to deter them. Um, this town has also faced previous threats of violence. For example, in 2015, a man from Tennessee named Robert Doggart was arrested and charged with plotting an attack on the community. And he it was charged with planning to recruit a militia to shoot Islamburg residents and blow up the mosque there. He was convicted and sentenced to nearly 20 years in prison in 2017. Now, the Muslims of America in Islamburg said that the, this new plot that has just been uncovered has caused fear and, quote, sent shockwaves, unquote, through its community. And uh, this Muslims of America further wrote, it is beyond tragic that our nation continues to fester with Islamophobia, hate, and religious intolerance. Now, um, these stories have been relatively quiet, but this last one about the um, Islamophobes are going, is getting, beginning to get more play because um, they, have been, they have found a way to try to blame it on Trump. And anytime the mainstream media can blame things on Trump, they run with it. So as it turned out, the 18-year-old in team Islamophobe, uh, Vincent Fetchermail, um, is, is, wrote a, um, 
wrote a tweet uh, in 2017, May 2017, that said, Dear POTUS, I invite you to my Eagle Scout ceremony. I invite, I'm sorry. Dear POTUS, I invited you to my Eagle Scout ceremony weeks ago. It was tonight. Wish you had come, but I get you're busy. <laughs> Thanks for Make America Great Again. Um, yeah, a little busy. <laughs> so now, because they uncovered this, this uh, tweet, you know, that, that Vetro Meal or Vetro Mile, however you pronounce his last name, um, sent, now, of course, they want to blame it on Trump, that he's the one encouraging Islamophobia, not that that's a new line, but, um, you know, so that's why you may be hearing more about this story. Um, he has had a lot of um, presence on social media. He called for a resolution, a revolution against the liberal Muslim horde. Uh, he claimed Barack Obama was born in Kenya. Quite frankly, I agree with that. <laughs> I still agree with that. And he called for the mass murder of Muslims. He wrote, kill them all and nobody will be left to attack us. He tweeted about, he tweeted that in 2016. So he's had years of tweets, um, you know, Islamophobic tweets for a while now. Um, he, they were charged with um, conspiracy, criminal possession of a weapon, and so on. Now, um, I think one of the one of the most fascinating parts of this story is that um, is the fact that the 16-year-old showed when he was showing a picture of someone who who he was asking his classmates if he if they thought he was a terrorist. I mean, the idea that he actually showed a picture of one of the other one of the other suspects or team members is you know is fascinating um, rather than just some picture of a guy and said does he look like a school terrorist school shooter uh, so that is where this team um, this team stands and both of them unfortunately both the terrorist team and the Islamophobe team are not going to get a chance to actually fight each other directly because they are each in prisons in their respective states. And I guess that is a good thing. Um, it's a good thing also that the FBI and authorities have been on top of this, but it's an unfortunate thing that um, so much of the US energy with FBI and police and all kinds of other counter-terrorism authorities have to be focused on all of this, on the fact that um, they, these threats exist, are not going away, are growing, and that's taking um, money and energy and time away from doing more positive, well, and that's a positive thing for our country in a sense in that they're protecting us, but imagine if all of these people who are engaged in counterterrorism efforts uh, were able to spend that time and have a job doing something more, more, um, more peaceful, more positive. Something, something in the arts, uh, something in, you know, in some other kind of pursuit that would that that makes us that, that's that's helpful, that's positive for us. That, um, that help us to enjoy life more. Yes, of course, they help us to enjoy life more by protecting us, but I'm pretty sure you understand what I mean, that, there, that we could use a lot more um, 
a lot more things, even, even including watching um, sports games, but without having to have all of this security around it. So thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carroll, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.